0: there was like years up until a point where like every year I wanted to quit every year I was like I'm done This is the last thing I want to do and then I'm moving on but then I think that might be God's timing but it's like every time I'm ready to quit I get put on another project
1: On today's episode, we talked to an award-winning screenwriter and producer. He's someone that operates behind the scenes, someone you don't hear from often because he hates things like this. But you've seen his work on TV, on digital and on film. And because he's my little bro, (laughs) I dragged him out here to come on the podcast. He's a co-founder of the production company BWMG, no fewer than... Four of his productions are currently broadcast on TV, airlines and streaming platforms in over 80 countries. His work has seen a growing client list from Netflix to Warner to BFI to BBC all working with him. And he's got so many new projects coming out this year. Leon Main is who I'm talking about. And in today's conversation, we discuss the lack of black talent. We talk about him being an introvert and using that as a way to express himself creatively and communicate with the world we talk about being about the work not about fame not about the individual but being about the work and that is so radical especially in the day and age that we live in where it's all about chasing social media fame and he's like no i'm not about that i want my work to shine for itself we talk about dealing with some difficult moments in his journey, despite the outward success, and he keeps you real raw and vulnerable. We discuss regrets, focusing on what's important, finding it challenging to celebrate himself, which is why I kept on guessing him up, and we delve into so much more. This is a great conversation. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy as we talk to Leon Maid. I'm gonna have fun with this because I don't get a lot of chance to grill him, grill my boy like this. But I am because I've got the award-winning screenwriter, um, producer, creative director whose client list is is it's ridiculous, and it's and that's that's what's small, you know. Man's got Netflix, you've got Trace, you got Channel 4, you got BBC. You got Warner Music, you got BFI, and he runs Brothers With No Games, one of the co founders of that amazing brand that we're going to talk about. And you've seen his work on TV, you just don't know it was his work. So I got (laughs) Mr. Leon Main in the building. How are you doing?
0: I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me for one. Appreciate it. Obviously, I've been listening to the podcast for a little while now. And so. I was waiting for my turn. You
1: know what <laughs> I was waiting, you know. Listen, I told Leon to come on time ago. Yeah, Leo didn't want to come on. So now trying to tell me, about, I was waiting.
0: Get out of here, man. <laughs> you know what? Public speaking or anything of this nature has always been, it's never been me, but I do love what you're doing and I appreciate it a lot. So I was, I was happy to come on. And also, I will say this, Shelby. right? And um, thank you for reading off that list. That was quite nice. But as much as, like you say, those things, I always have put myself in the, still developing still getting there so being a leader i've never really thought of myself as a leader maybe because i kind of like compartmentalize in a way that it's like you have to be in specific places to be a leader but yeah maybe it's a very stereotypical way of thinking
1: yeah i think it is but, um, let's start with if we can go back to what you guys did with brothers in No game that was way ahead of the curve especially in the uk because in the US, I guess the best similarity would be Issa and what she had on YouTube. Her show there was very, very similar to what you guys were doing in BWMG. It was just a different country and different, I'm going to say people picked it up and moved to it differently. But in terms of groundbreaking work, Brothers No Game was revolutionary. And that was leading the game. And that showed the path and the way for a lot of things that have come since. And that's just one example. I appreciate it. That's true.
0: I mean, that is, it's a good
1: point. I think when we first started
0: doing that, and I'm sure we'll go into it in the conversation, it was kind of like there wasn't any plans for it from a long-term perspective. It was more a case of how do we cater towards the fans who have been following our blog for a little while. Let's try and um, give them some more form of entertainment. I guess, again, because I didn't have the mindset of like, I'm going to lead this revolution of black programming or I'm going to showcase us in a different light. It was more a case of I just wanted to make something dope it was kind of like a foundation anyway. There's been a lot of conversation about, I guess there being a lack of like, well, there was a conversation about there being a lack of black talent on screen.
1: Still there, bro. And, don't, don't.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Still there.
1: Like behind the screen.
0: And like, you know, a lot of people were very appreciative of us because we were showcasing, Oh well, yeah, black people in front of behind the screen, but certainly black love and dark skin, black women was a, a, a major one as well. And, I've never really been one person to like promote that aspect of it just because it would feel like we're doing something for a particular praise or for a reason because being around like three-dimensional Black women and three-dimensional Black men, et cetera, is something that I'm used to every single day. So I didn't necessarily feel like I was doing a service. It was more a case of like just showcasing what we're about and what we do as opposed to, hey, look at us. This is Black Club or we're actually showing Black women on screen. It's like that was the foundation for us anyway. We were already going to do that anyway. It's about whether the project was good. Whether we were kind of like serving the audience from an entertainment perspective as opposed to trying to make a statement. I take it on board. Don't get me wrong. Like, I didn't dismiss anybody that says those type of things, but maybe it was just a mindset going in of like, I just wanted to make something dope as opposed to I'm trying to fulfill a particular purpose.
1: Where did that inspiration come from to be able to set that up? Because when I go back, and bear in mind, I've known Liam for probably about 20, 21 years now. So don't worry, I'm not going to expose you too much about what you were like back in the day. But um, <laughs> but way back, you were like you studied what business and management at Brunel. It wasn't media, it wasn't entertainment, it wasn't anything down that that particular path. Well, you know, Shopee, as you and I both know, we are from a beautiful continent called Africa. <laughs> um,
0: We have parents who have a particular mindset of sometimes what you, well, at least back then, what you should be doing. So creative writing was always something that I enjoyed. It was like a side hobby for me. Like I loved being able to express myself that way because I was quite, quite an introvert. So writing was my way of kind of communicating with the world
1: and it was quite therapeutic as well. So let's figure out then. I'm just saying, but yeah, carry on. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for the girls, joking. <laughs> no, joking. really was it that I, it literally was because you know we'll, we'll get into that in probably another kind of the conversation, but yeah, I generally speaking always felt comfortable writing stuff as opposed to speaking, and again, it was just a great way for me to express myself when it came to making a decision of what I was going to do at university, I had a conversation with my mom, and you know we broke down you know what the kind of I guess potential occupational route that there could be for if I did, you know, creative work as opposed to doing business management, which is something I enjoyed as well. Like I did enjoy computing. And so I opted for computers, but I never stopped writing. So that was just something that I loved doing. So I ended up doing that. And then maybe two years, maybe even one year after I had graduated or I'd finished Bruno. There Was something that was just itching in me. Like, I've been writing for all this time, like behind the scenes. Like, I remember I had a wall of poetry even in my uni room, and I was like doing these little short stories. But I had this like itching to do something that was kind of like on a bigger scale rather than just in my room. I teamed up with Maz, another guy, that obviously, he's been on the podcast and a good friend of both of ours, to do this uh, user generated media site called P Bleep. And it was literally for us to write about whatever we wanted from politics to relationships to sports and stuff like that. And that was just fueling my energy more than anything else. Because it was reaching a wider audience, I realised from then that, you know what, this is kind of a calling or a purpose for me. Like it's not just a hobby. It's something that I really, really want to do. And so that's what made me venture into creative writing. Then Brothers If not game was kind of a spin off of that user generated media side that we did because we were writing quite a few relationship posts at that point and people were really taken towards it. I think a lot of our traffic went towards that. And so Brothers of No Game was kind of spawned off of that, and then the rest is history.
1: When you guys started writing and doing writing for P Bleep, you did it anonymously. Mm-hmm. Why was that? P Bleep, I don't know if P Bleep was anonymous. I know Brothers of
0: No Game was. I can't remember if it was anonymous or not, but if it was anonymous, it might have been because we were very, I wouldn't even say controversial, but I think we were very open in regards to the things that we were talking about because people, it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be called pissed as in angry. So it was kind of like our generation being able to say what we wanted to say without having any uh, filter. I think maybe that's why we had aliases back then, because there was a lot of people reached out to and, by the time we'd hit I guess, our peak, we had maybe 20 people writing. But the idea was supposed to be user generated, so anybody could write it. We just had to make sure that we filtered in to make sure the writing was good enough. <laughs> not that we knew anything back then anyway, but yeah. But yeah, I think we're just kind of being able to have no filter and have the freedom of like, okay, cool, write whatever you want. Obviously, not too controversial or too crazy. And then that went to the same to Brothers of No Game when it became just four of us. And I think when you talk about things from, even if it's from, the male gaze, male perspective, and you're being very honest in your truth. There are certain topics that you touch that might be quite sensitive. And so, some guys who were probably in relationships at the time, we didn't want to be seen as <laughs> dudes that like talk about specific things whilst in a relationship. But I think when we first started, we were all single, I think. Yeah. Apart from one of you. But yeah, we soon got into relationships. So, when we were speaking about things, from a single male perspective, we had to be very like particular. And I mean, it's something that you don't ever not experience in some way, shape or form relationships and being single and on dating scene is not, it feels like it's something that gets rotated over and over again anyway. So it's not like you can't write topics from this perspective of like observation as opposed to experience.
1: It's mad when you think about it now in the world of Twitter in the world of so many podcasts out there and the different things that they talk about, like what you were talking about, in Brothers in the Old Game, was actually, in a sense, tame comparison to now, number one. But it was actually more real. Yet, even in those days, you still had to be a lot more sensitive and be like, oh, we can't, we can't necessarily say that and put that out there. But I think one of the reasons why it blew up so much because it actually resonated. You were saying what people were really feeling, and you were expressing it in a way that connected with people because normally speaking a lot of the writers that you see or you hear from weren't from the culture, weren't from the background, and therefore they couldn't relate. But the stories that you were sharing really, really connected with people, which was why it blew up the way it did.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And it's something that I saw straight away from, you know, the guys who I ended up doing with Maz Paul and Henry is that whenever we were together or around people, we always had different perspectives. And life, just life in general. It was what we call edutainment. So they were quite educational, but also very like accessible and funny. And I just thought we, it would be great for us to put this on a blog or a space where people can access it and personalize themselves a bit or resonate with me, as he was saying. And when it ended up being on the blog, I think the first thought was that it would probably be a lot of guys that would relate to it because it was kind of like the male experience. But I realized that not only was it more women that came on the blog but it was international straight away which is something that I didn't really fathom at the time like I didn't think that there would be so many people from so many different countries that could relate to the stories obviously there are certain things they had to google like Peckham (laughs) and Hesky or something like that but in regards to the engagement it was kind of widespread and yeah the accessibility of it was kind of like you said us being very very truthful About the experiences that we went through, or the observations that we had, and also it being accessible from the standpoint of like it had to be funny as well. I think sometimes when you talk about specific topics, the truth can kind of get like misconstrued if you're very forthright and aggressive, etc. Whereas we always try to make light heart out of it, whilst like it's edutainment, Like I said, it's being educational, but trying to be light hearted out of it as well. And so people were able to access it a little bit easier from that perspective. I'm always around very, very funny people. So it was just about putting those little elements of jokes and being able to make fun of yourself in the situations where you failed when it came to women allowed men, especially you might have like a wall to access and be like, yeah, it's true. Do you know what I mean? And women to be like, oh, these guys are sensitive. It's true. I like, you know, what I mean? you know, what I yeah, it was a great time. And I think a lot of people always say we were ahead of our time. And if we had come out around now and, you know, what could have happened for the brand, maybe from a podcast or a book perspective. But I think that what was meant to happen, like, happened. Like, I think that was done for a reason. You had to be one of the first people to do it. And I don't think, I don't necessarily agree that we would be in a better space if we did it around now because I feel like we were young then, we were like, literally early 20s then. Doing it now would be quite... <laughs> immature, <laughs> if that makes any sense, <laughs> you know, because we, we were observing things back then when we were young. Our perspective on life and on relationships and stuff is totally different now, like way different. So we probably have a better version if we did it now, maybe, but yeah, everything's starts happening for a reason. And we're a brand we are now because of what we did back then. Mm.
1: We'd competing too much right now. That's so true. It's great to be first, but it also brings a lot of frustration with it because. Trying to raise funding for something that people didn't necessarily see the value in as in companies didn't see the value in that point in time was a lot harder. And therefore you're having to scrap things together. So you have to then by being first, you have to deal with the frustration, you have to deal with the disappointment, you have to deal with all the, I'm gonna say the emotional roller coaster of trying to bring something amazing to life. And how was that? How was that for you guys? How was that for you actually? From a financial
0: perspective, it was hell because we started the blog as a hobby, right? So it was just something that we did on the side. It was fun um, reaching out to fans, so on and so forth. But as time went on, we realized that this is going to be something lucrative. We've got a massive fan base. We we had a million unique visits um, under a year and we were just reaching a totally um, different demographic than we expected. And so it was like, what do we do next? But because it was a hobby and we didn't necessarily have like a three-year plan, nearly no one-year plan, we didn't really know what to do. And it was quite demanding of us to kind of deliver it every single week when there wasn't any financial incentive or a business incentive. And when we did start reaching out to, to people, there wasn't I, one of the main things that we wanted to do with the blog anyway. I mean, we'll go into the web series with, with this question as well, because I think it fits that more. But one of the main things they wanted us to do was like reveal yourself because of were the aliases. Then they wanted to be like your blog needs a face and name. And I get it in hindsight, but I always want to do things that and work with people and put them in the most comfortable position as possible. So If we start off as aliases and that's what people are comfortable in, then we're going to continue as aliases. And maybe part of the mystery and the excitement from readers is the fact that nobody knew who we were. Other than obviously our close friends. but nobody knew who it was. It was more about the work. And that's what I've always been about. I don't particularly care for the fame. It's more about the work, right? So that became a point of contention for us for a really, really long time. And we weren't able to do lucrative deals out of that. Going into the web series aspect of it, that was difficult because... We had a lot of obstacles from being black filmmakers and trying to push through an ensemble black cast on television. That's where that difficulty came from. We were met with a lot of, uh, what's the best word to use? It's not racism. It wasn't racism. White was, it was ignorance, I think, because. We're in a web series space. We're being accepted and quote-unquote heralded by fans around the world for our work and what we're doing. But going into television, it was like, well, I'll give you an example. Production company came across our work, and then they wanted to co-pro with us to develop the series for television. And the first thing that they said when we came into the room was, we love this show. You know, it's, it's got the potential to be a hit, but we're not too sure about the idea of doing four black guys. Like, well, why? They said, I won't appeal to a family in Mansfield, for instance. And I was like, it's not a family show for one. It's about four guys going through a quarter-life crisis. It's probably going to be for a younger audience anyway. But he's like, yeah, but I'm just not sure about I know, a black ensemble cast. Have you maybe considered making it three brothers and maybe two of them be white? And I was like, what? Like, my. My face is very transparent in me. And the show so <laughs> I remember I was with Paul. I was like, who's got to take on the reins in terms of the rest of the conversation? Because I just blacked out and I was just like, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I just couldn't take it. So yeah, we faced a lot of those difficulties at first. Obviously, times have moved on and it's much better now. But back then, it was kind of like, from a financial perspective, trying to improve and get things over the line. It wasn't impossible, but it was very, very difficult. And it definitely took its toll on me from a personal perspective because I was beginning to put a lot of my eggs in the creative basket. You know, I had done the whole business and management thing and finishing it for my mum. <laughs> but now it's like, this is for me now. I need to move into this space. And it requires a lot of um, hard work and graft, especially as you're a beginner and I didn't study it as well. So I had to really show and prove But it was very, very difficult from a financial perspective because on one hand, you kind of have to dedicate a lot of your time when you're beginning stuff to go into the next stage. But on the other hand, you have yourself to look after, you have family to look after. And if you're in a relationship, like I was, I had a partner to look after as well. So it's quite difficult from that sort of juggling the
1: Juggling the two. And that's the real talk of a lot of times people see the, I want to say, see the shiny, end product that comes to life from people and they applaud that and they're oh my gosh I want to do that but actually what you're talking about is the reality of one we're trying to get that end product to other people to see it but the emotional toll that can take of you because like I say you're you're starting again like something you have not studied you're now pursuing what is your what you felt like is your, your passion your purpose so you're at ground zero so you're trying to build that That you're trying to build a brand new company in a space and a place where people don't really understand or get it. So you're dealing with that. And then this thing that you guys had, which was just supposed to be a bit of fun, has now turned into something serious. So now, obviously, the dynamics in the relationship is also going to change because now it's not a bit of fun anymore. It's now business. So you're dealing with all that, that stuff. And you now got your relationship that you're in that you're also battling. It's a lot that can really, really bring a person down (laughs) to be honest, because you're just giving out to different spaces and therefore there's no time for you to be able to recharge and replenish. My friends will present and God knows like
0: how many times I've been down during that period. It was very, it was a very depressive period, even though I had a lot to like live for, if that makes any sense. It's a luxury to a degree in terms of having friendships and having a relationship and having, a quote-unquote business to the degree, but when things aren't going your way and you can't control them or can't compartmentalize them or it's hard to give equal or a structure, structural level of like priority to them. It really takes its toll and it's extremely difficult and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through it anyway, but I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's tough. Um, so that was a, it was a weird period of my life where I knew what I wanted to do but I didn't know how to control, I guess, well, I couldn't control the destiny of it because, you know, certain things are right out of your hands. But I think things that I could have been in control of, I, it, I didn't do as well. I did lose, like, a friendship for a period of time because of it. And it definitely took its toll on the relationship as well. So, yeah, it's something that I, like, even to this day, I think about a lot in terms of would I do things differently? And, you know, I think maybe for the last year and a half, I'm in a very good space now, but, and I think, you know, people always say, oh, you have to do these things and you have to make these sacrifices in order for you to get to this particular position. When you look back on it, you realize, okay, cool. But if I was asked if I would do it the same way over again, I'd say no. And I'd be happy in that regard because I think lockdown kind of proved it to me as well last year. Was no, sorry, we're in 2022 now. Jesus.
1: <laughs> 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's two years
0: ago, man. Like, that's crazy. When we went into lockdown, I think that the because you, everyone was kind of in the same position, but also you had to just relax for a second because you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do much. For some people, you know, work wasn't happening. And it enabled me to really kind of think about what's important in life. In regards to, you know, friendship, family, health, uh, spirituality, if you subscribe to it. And I was able to like build myself much more last year during lockdown. And things started to happen as a result of it. When I wasn't thinking too much about work, all of a sudden, work just flew itself and flung itself at me. And I was always, it made me think that if I was able to, and I had to throw my eggs in one basket in regards to. Well, I had to put more effort into work in, in regards to just thought of myself and my career. Because again, like you were saying, I, and like I was saying, I didn't study it. So I had to put a lot of my effort into it in that direction. But I think if I was better at, or if I had focused a lot more on things that make me internally happy, because I think sometimes writing and stuff, even though, was, I mean, the business, even though it was great, I think it was making me externally happy. I'm happy doing all of this stuff. I think stuff like family, friendships, relationships—that makes you internally happy. Like that's something that's like it's a, it's there's a soulful connection. It, was very, it feels very visceral and, and metaphysical. And I think I was like focusing a lot on the external happiness, and I think if I just had a better balance, you know, it would be better. So I always think about that. And if I if I had a chance to go back, I would hundred percent put more effort into being internally happy. And if you know if it ended up being a thing where the career didn't pan out, how I wish I'd still be cool with that because I had all of those things kind of set in motion over the course of years as opposed to only now being both internally and externally happy
1: you know what like number one let me just appreciate you actually just sharing that realness but I think it's also a recognition that you can actually see that for yourself because there's so many times we go through stuff and we don't take the time to have that introspection but yet you've done that work even during lockdown, be like, you know what, now I know there's a difference between what makes me happy and what it makes me internally happy. And so many times that can get construed really, really easily. So for you to be able to actually define that and then be like, now I'm in a better place. And interesting enough, as you said, once you got to that spot, things started to open up and things started to move and shift differently because of how you were approaching life. Because now you had that, I would say all the time that it's very easy for us to give externally. But if we are running on empty, what we're giving from, and therefore it's a lot harder, it feels so much more harder. But yeah, if we're doing things that fill us up and we're giving externally, because we're being replenished, we're giving from a place, there's something we're giving out. And therefore it makes whatever we're trying to do so much more, a lot easier, not always, but easier sometimes. And that's how it can be.
0: No, you're right. You're right. Um, And again, it's, it's something I acknowledge again where, you know, I wish it was something that I knew sooner, but I'm happy that I know it now.
1: It was surprising to a lot of people, even what you said earlier around you didn't want fame and you wanted to stay hidden. For mm-hmm. a young men, like that's especially now when we look at the world the way it is, mm-hmm. people do ridiculousness like on, on TikTok, just become the next viral sensation. So, what, what was mm-hmm. it around? I know you said at the start you're an introvert, but did that whole you being an introvert be like, I don't want to be front and center I don't want to be the the star the celebrity I don't want people to know my name was that all linked into your introversion or was that was there something else around that
0: I think probably two things I think introversion is 100% one of them because I'd always been um, a quiet person I think when you are introverted when you're quiet you observe more and so I like to learn more than to be the the face and in, in, in front of things and I think you, I think being quiet means that you end up having your own like likes and dislikes and hobbies and stuff. So anything to do with like being loud and center of attention or even going to going as far as like having meetings with people just for the sake of having meetings. Like I don't like that. I like things that feel that have a little bit more structural, like a bit more compartmentalized or deal with action rather than anything else. I think it's just, that's, what's kind of led into to me not wanting to be overly famous and just like it's just that introversion of just like i just want to do the work and i just want to be paid for it (laughs) i think another thing is i think it might have been a family thing as well you know my mom was always like pressing on about hard work you know we you know all of our parents kind of give us a blueprint of what we need to do in life and stuff but i think i was just i just took to it much more in terms of don't worry about this side over there, you know, in terms of the fame and being loud and being at the forefront, like that stuff will come, but like put the work in, my properly instilled that in me and I think that's just something that I took on both consciously and subconsciously. Fame is cool, like it's it's great and stuff and you know, who who doesn't want attention in that way, shape, or form? It's probably, it's nice, it's a nice um, kicker kick for of your life, but it's, it doesn't do anything for me. Like being, like clout and all those things and, you know, images as we call them <laughs> on social media. You know it doesn't particularly do anything for me. And, I, and maybe part of that is because my way of thinking is that I'd, pr- I'd rather people appreciate and validate you in terms of like what you are and what you do rather than like what you say or what you kind of portray. I think that's just probably what it is. Like I just don't have that personality where it's like, hey, hey, look at me. Like I haven't even got a proper digital footprint. I only just now, like, have done a website. I've only just done a website now, where it's like, okay, cool. Like, obviously, I've got social media. You, you know, you've been on my social media, but I barely post. And then on Twitter, I like, few articles every now and again. I might say something outside of TV and film, but yeah, being literally. I went on Squarespace <laughs> this month and finally did a profile. And I'm only doing that because it's just easier for production companies and whatever to see what I've done and what I'm doing. So it just makes it easier to sell who I am. Fame is just really not my. It's not my portion. Thankfully, I've, I'm in the right job, screenwriter. not there are famous writers, but they're not like actors or directors who get all of the produce. But I do want the money. So that's <laughs> something I, I will fight for. I do want the money. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. uh, It does. It
1: really does. Do you find it easy to clap for yourself and the accomplishments that you have?
0: I I find it easier. It's something you're, you know, going back to what I was saying about social media. There are things that I've done. And there's things that I do that I never speak about on socials. Like I don't, I don't really post it. And I think maybe it's not from a place of embarrassment or anything like that. I think it's more a case of like I'm still learning. I'm still developing. I'm not at a place where I want to be yet. And I think that filters through to how I treat myself in in real life sometimes. Where it's like, you know, I just do the work and I get on with it. I'll, I'll get the validation later on. But I am learning to be a bit more appreciative about the smaller wins. Well, I call them the smaller wins because I'm not exactly at the destination that I want to be yet. But it takes a while just because it's not necessarily part of my character. You know, I've won awards. I've had my CVs pretty strong. My bio's pretty strong. It's just what it is, isn't it? It's what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's. I, I feel like I've been using the vessel in some way to do this and so I don't think I've reached my destination yet so I've not really like I've given myself a um, little tap on the back and stuff like that and there have been moments of celebration but in terms of kind of like shouting it to the rooftops I'm still not there yet but I'm getting better at it
1: yeah and this will
0: be a year for that hopefully <laughs> hopefully
1: and this is part of I guess my process of also doing that with you because I completely agree with you in the sense of it's not about Social media—it's nothing about external. It's, I guess it's more around the internal reflection of you and your journey and navigating through, like you just described, a very hard, difficult period of your life, which was, which you like you went through like depression and stuff like that, and you had to come out of that on the other side. And for you to to look back, like this is how far I've come, this is what I've done, even through that difficult period, and now that I'm a lot better, and I can go on and be and do much more. But I want to just give myself a pat in the back and be like, well, well done for doing that. I know what it was not easy, but you made it through, and you can keep on going. There's an element of that validation that's internal that fills you up, but it's hard to do. I'm saying it. And I can tell you, I find it hard yeah. to do. <laughs> so, this is not something just people to say it out there, but also recognize the importance of being able to do that and to be able to clap for yourself. But everyone else, they can do what they're doing externally. But for <laughs> you alternatives you're like, yeah, like well done for doing that. No, it's true. Probably the easiest way for me to
0: do that sometimes is like during prayer. Even though I'm, I'm just grateful for the day and stuff like that, I think it's easier for me to do it when I am speaking out loud. If I'm by myself or if I'm on, a, on my phone or writing things down, like writing things down is good as well. Like it's great. But I think when I'm speaking out loud, it's easier for me to be like, okay, cool. This is something within me that I can say. It's just, it's not something that comes natural to me to, be, to big up myself. But I'll get there. <laughs> <Make> sure, <laughs> I'll get there. I'll make sure I'm on the, on the right side of confidence and arrogance for sure.
1: What would you want to see happen in the industry, especially in the industry that you work in? Like in film, TV, behind the scenes, what would you want to see happen in the next year or so?
0: Oof, how long have you got, <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think we're in a pretty decent space. You know, if I think about television, I think television is probably in the best space it's ever been just because of the amount of opportunities that you can have across streaming platforms and networks and channels and stuff. So I think that part's cool because it's like a golden generation of television that's like not stopped for the last decade. But I think within that, there's one thing that I was talking about earlier to today to a producer friend of mine for writers who are maybe not as well known. I don't even want to just like compartmentalize this to just being like non-white people because white it's white writers as well. But to writers who are not like very well known, we're all competing for a spot on television, especially even in the UK, we're all competing for very limited amount of space. Sometimes we'd be competing against each other, competing against big names, competing against production companies, but there's a new force in the industry now that we're competing against. Oh, I'm sorry, writer-performers as well. There's even a mad one where if you are a writer-performer, you probably have more of an opportunity to get your project created than just being just a writer. But there's a new wave coming in that is like the biggest force route right now, and that's IP. So a lot of projects are being made off the back of an original podcast or a theatre play or a book, and they're like, that's the hot property right now. If people can get their hands on something that's already kind of like in the hemisphere and the way via another medium, that gets an opportunity before kind of like screenwriters get an opportunity to give a, an original idea. And I just wish that there was a bit more of a balance because a lot of channels claim that they want to bring new, fresh writers through. But a lot of writers are still not being given the opportunity to like, showcase their chops. And they're losing out now to influencers, to people with IP and stuff like that. I don't if the reverse engineer it the right term, but reverse engineer like, the idea of what it is you're supposed to do to get onto screen. Now it's like, you don't need your screenwriter. You don't need to write scripts anymore. You just got to be famous or do something else in order for yourself to go on things. So I wish that get on, on a TV channel. So I wish that was balanced out a bit more. Maybe it is balanced out a bit more and I'm exaggerating, but it feels like, especially as somebody who currently works in the TV industry, like literally behind the scenes, it feels like that is a bit more of a, IP is much more heralded than your working screen route. So I wish that would kind of change.
1: But in the age of, like you just said, of, of streaming and you've been able to create things for YouTube a lot easier now and a lot cheaper now. How much does the industry still, or do writers still need to go to the industry and those different houses? Wouldn't it be better if you just created your own thing and started to put it out there?
0: So making a web series obviously was the hot thing back then. Now it's not as hot only because there are so, I mean, one, it's been done before, and two, like there are so many different mediums now that people can catch content that they don't feel like they're not being seen. But with web series, the thing that people sometimes forget is even though you get to make it for cheaper, you still have to, for the most part, if you're trying to make one that can get seen by a few people, you have to put some type of money and energy into it. And it's not always easy to get that funding to make web series and to have the team around that web series and kind of get it out there. What has been lucrative, though, for me in that space, and it's something that I would encourage people to do if they are making web series, is if they had to make one web series, potentially make it and distribute it to different territories, because there are a lot of streaming services out there that are, they're not on the same level as Netflix and Amazon, so on and so forth, in terms of numbers. But in terms of actually having an audience and a platform that will buy and license your projects year after year, there are loads in Africa and in Europe, North America, everywhere, basically. And that's where I've made some of my bread and butter in regards to being able to distribute a lot of our projects in different territories. But yeah, going back to just make your web series, I think, yeah, I think that is, that's definitely a viable option. But in terms of the scale that maybe you want to make your show, it might not be the same. Like, if this writer is writing a sci-fi project, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to do, do what they can do on TV in, in a web series if they are doing an action project. You know what I mean? So if they're doing a lower budget rom-com or something like that, then potentially, but if it's on a bigger scale and you want certain actors attached to it, stuff like that, it's harder. Web series is kind of like, I treat it more as a resume. And yeah, it's a great example of what you can do. But I think in order for you to get over the line, you know, television and streaming services are a bit easier. But I don't discourage anybody from making a web series because I think it's like some of the best ways of showcasing your talent. And you'd be very surprised what can come off of the back of it. That IP is
1: bad. If IP is the way forward and celebrity influences are the way forward, would you then recommend a writer, for example, attaching themselves? To a celebrity, an influencer, or even ghostwriting a book as a way in?
0: I would say as an option. I wouldn't say as a number one option. I think writing a book is great if you want to write a book and attaching yourself to a big name actor, maybe not so a celebrity or an influencer, depending on what type of project you want to make. But attaching, which I mean, attaching yourself to an actor is hard, but attaching yourself to somebody where you can make a product out of them is always good because it's a good way to package yourself or package your idea or package yourself within the industry. I would give it as an option. As somebody who is very traditional in terms of screenwriting, I'll never give it as the number one option because I'm very much a champion of people who just want to create their own content. I mean, not to say that you can't drain other instances and make content, but I'm always going to be a champion of screenwriters because I feel like there are so many that are being overlooked as opposed to other writers who kind of are there for clout or because they're friends with somebody. You know, I don't want to get too controversial on it, but I do think that it's tracks. Mm-hmm. yeah. I do think quality is being kind of like replaced by clout and numbers. Numbers obviously are a good indicator of whether somebody has got fans and stuff, but there has to be a time now where it's like you as a commissioner or you as a channel you're looking at a project and you're like, I love this project because I love this project. So I think it's great. Not because I don't love this project, but this person's got numbers. So I'm going to pull it on there. Cause it's like, you're not really doing your job anymore. You're being quite lazy now. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of people are doing now. You know They don't want to put in the work. It's like, all right, cool. This person's got numbers. Yeah. Let's get on board. This person's got BAFTA. All right, cool. Let's do that. So I think kind of like, Putting our excitement onto the commissioners is something that needs to, I want to see a little bit more in the industry where commissioners are excited to, maybe they they are, but they want to take things on board just because they love them. I would love for in this country for there to be more stories based around our age group. And I've I've been shouting this for years. I I think that in the UK, in this country, it's getting better, but in this country, I think you have two major age groups that they cater towards 16 to 24 year olds. We don't count CBBs in a lot. Of things, obviously.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They've obviously got their own. Yeah. Channel. The picnics right. have got their thing. That's
0: good. Nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But like when you get to some of the, I guess the major channels, do you have there's 16 to 24 and then you have family. You might, or you have, ooh, say 40 year old, but we'll say family, but that middle ground, those, God knows what it's called now. Are we Gen Z? The millennials, yeah. So like late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties, or whatever. We've been neglected as an audience for a really, really long time, and I saw it from when Trouble got cancelled on screen. So obviously, when you're growing up, you're watching all of these shows on the side. warranted a lot of them were American, but you're watching your sisters, your king, and tells your Mauritius. And you're going into your fresh Apprentices, one-on-ones, my and kids, et cetera. So like it was the children's channel and Kind Network and Nickelodeon and then going into like Trouble and Paramount. And then you're growing with these shows, right? And all of a sudden, obviously you've gone past Nickelodeon now, you're older. So you're now watching Trouble and Paramount. But then Trouble and Paramount, or well, Trouble at least, anyway gets cancelled. And then it's like, you look left and right, like where do I go to now to watch my shows? And I'm still at this point I think Trouble got locked off maybe in the early 20s. So from early 20s to 30s, there is no channel dedicated to our age group because everybody is like, they're still sticking with the 16th. We had signed from 1624. After that, it's like, what do we have? And then it becomes worse when it's like, what do we have even as black creatives as well? But that's even worse. And so it's like, where do we go to? Okay, we'll have to go to America to kind of see that. But it's like, what do we have over here? And then now you get into your 30s, it's like, okay, as a creative, I want to make that change now. But where, which channel was allowing you to do that? It's very, very difficult. But, you know, we've had a couple of examples re- so as of recent, which is great. And, you know, I, I watched, you know, Michaela Cole, I Made mean, Destroy you, which was great. A class you Oliver Bridge, Fleabag flea as an example as well. So there are examples, but I
1: think we need a little bit more. Just a little bit. Yeah, I think and it's super really interesting um, when some of those shows came back. So Sister Sister, my show, mm-hmm. they came back on Netflix yeah. last year, the year before. It was such a massive celebration because everyone's like, we yeah. oh, missed these. Like. It's interesting though, my my daughter who's, who's now 13, she was watching them. Yeah. So she was watching okay. Moesha and stayed watching Sister Sister and Bustin' Joe. Like she went through the whole of Fresh Prince like twice. So I'm just laughing wow. like these are old, old shows that we grew up with. And yet yeah. the next generation are tapping into them now, but us seeing them takes us back. And you're right, like, there was no, it's like we got to the same age and it all just went all locked off. There was nothing yeah. available, which I guess is why from to Michelle my age, places like MySpace and all that blew up back in yeah. the day and used to have Vine. You had all those <laughs> all those kind of yeah. things that were, being, that were being created. And it's interesting that like yeah. even companies like Walls of Comedy that came off yes. from those platforms, that's how they started. Because yes. it was plugging a gap that currently existed that no, no channel, in theory, was, was really catering to because they, they, didn't, they didn't think it was necessary. But then it goes to show that they blew up and their production company blew up because they were exactly. catering to an audience that was there. So the audience was there, they validated it, and they're still around doing different things. They the two co-founders are now in, in the US and Hollywood. So it just goes to show yeah. that the demand is there, and the audience is there. But it seems like those who are the powers that be are just not listening to what the audience or yeah. what some of that particular audience want.
0: Yeah, they weren't listening for a very long time, man. And I think that's why a YouTube became such a key platform for creatives, but certainly black creatives and, you know, that particular audience that needed to be fulfilled. And, you know, we all came in at the, exactly the right time when there was a massive renaissance. So I'd say from like 2010 to 2014, that length of time, that 4 year Five year moment was like one of the best moments in in content ever because everybody who had the dream or the mindset of being on television like ended up dropping web series and there was so many good web series um, back then you know in America there was obviously Issa Race Project, of the or Black Girl, Black and Sexy TV had some really dope projects. They had an insane amount and so many people have like built careers off of the back of Black and Sexy TV as well. And then they had stuff like The Unwritten Rules and Lennox Avenue. And in the UK, we had obviously us uh, brothers in our game. We had a Venus versus Mars, like you were saying, the wall of comedy guys. So they had Mandem on the wall, Spin, Dear Jesus. Just before us as well, there was a uni show called No Idea as well, and another project called Breach. So there was like this great like uh, sh- stretch of like dark web series where we were finally reaching to our audience. And to be fair, I would say. Of all the shows that I mentioned, maybe seventy percent got onto television in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, there was something there. Although I will say that the deals that they were given to us weren't good. <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> was, was terrible. but at least it was something to fill the gap for the time. But you know, you can always counteract with the fact that they, you know the deals that they did give weren't good. And so they still weren't given the effort that was needed for us to be fulfilled as audiences or as creatives going into our mid to late 20s, early 30s. It's getting better, but it just needs to move at a faster rate because America are like way ahead of us in regards
1: to do that. Do you think there's anything that can be done to change the UK in the way that they are thinking about filling that gap in a way that exactly what you talked about with screenwriters? I'm focusing on actual screenwriters as opposed to celebrities and influencers. Because I understand why from a commercial perspective they're chasing the money. Like the influencers have an audience, therefore whatever they put out there, their audience are going to lap up and therefore they can sell adverts. Cool, makes sense. They're a commercial business. But then there must be an element or budget or allocation that says actually let's focus on making some great shows. Do you think there's something that can be done around something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, just to go back on it, I don't I'm not saying that there aren't shows that are being developed or created that are from just straight from screenwriters there are there are loads but it does feel like there's more of a hunger for like ip and people who have numbers i mean it's something that gets spoken about a long time but there's two things i think bravery for one i mean it's not even brave to just say we want to make original shows and ideas with with writers you know it's not brave to do that it's normal so i think just going back to like wanting to just make amazing shows it's not a brave thing to do why it's, not? Be
1: doing it it's brave though because you're not chasing the money so you're not you're not doing what you're supposed to do from a corporation perspective you know the reason why i say it's not brave is because like it should be something you're
0: doing in the first place right so as a part of the uh, broadcasting responsibility is to make dope shows it's not necessarily just to be like i know this show is going to do certain numbers because a person is in it, not because the show is good. It's only because this person is in it. I don't think that's good for like filmmakers, creators in general, because it's like it sets a precedent of like you don't have to be, you don't have to make any. I mean, you know, so it's good is subjective, but you don't have to make projects that are of particular quality in order for you to get into this particular space. You just mm-hmm. need to be famous, you just need to your name. So. <laughs> So I think, like, bra- bravery, you know, I, I, we'll call it bravery for now, even though I don't think it's brave. But yeah, be brave in terms of, like, what you want to commission. And in a harsh way, I think we might have to, like, start rejigging who are commissioners, right? Or who are making certain decisions in certain places because you have to have an eclectic group of people in your commission space. And that's all ages, I think, and all races, and just all, like, Backgrounds in regards to television and stuff. I think it's getting better again in that regard, but I do think that there is still this kind of like one-minded way of thinking in regards to what it, um, should be on screen. And if people have been saying it for a long time: why is there not more of us in those particular spaces? You know, we get brought into particular, we get brought into channels, but we might not get the the bigger jobs or the jobs that make the the tough decisions. And instead, we might get put into like diversity. Positions, but there's only so much you can do in diversity. You can. It's almost like you are like checking data to see how many people are doing this, but it's like, are you making the right decisions on the people who are making the shows or who you want to be in the shows? Especially again when it comes to race, I I don't like the term "people of color," so that's why I'm not. I'm just (laughs) saying race. (laughs) But like, yeah, Um, (laughs) like when it comes to that. The first thought is who is doing bits that is black or who is doing bits that is Asian. And people who are doing great are probably are amazing at what they do, but it's about the number and clout again as opposed to we have a list of writers or we have a list of directors and every channel does, I think, at the moment has this, but have a list of writers and directors who are black or who are Asian, let's pick the ones whose scripts we like. Let's not worry about, like, uh, have they written for... I mean, worry a little bit, but like, have they written for Channel 4 before or BBC before or ITV before? or What's their numbers like? Read their work. And if you like their work, then make it happen. Because the fact that you like their work means that, you know, you're an audience member yourself. So therefore, another audience member will like it too. Don't worry about the numbers aspect of
1: it. That's why I say it's It's bravery. That that particular statement is why I say it's it's bravery, where it says, actually, I've read this. I like this. I'm going to go for this. I'm not worried about the numbers. Like you said, you're, you're all supposed to bring out something of value. So yeah. that's where I think the bravery comes into it.
0: Yeah. And it's not to say that they can't be balanced. Of course, there are some shows that not every show needs to be a golden globe nominee or, you know, you know what I mean like it's fine to have that balance, but I just think the industry has kind of lost. It's lost its way a little bit in terms of who should be kind of creating stuff the screen. It's just lost me way a little bit. We don't have a lot of channels anyway. So you're not only competing against the people in your industry anymore. You're competing against people outside of the industry that are giving you projects ahead of you. I feel so sorry for presenters right now because you might not get looking because this person used to be a pop star or this person is doing bits on social media as a comedian. And, you know, as a presenter, you might not get that
1: opportunity because you're, you're losing out to somebody who's got a bit of clout. It's tough out there, Shelby. Mm. Ah, sounds <laughs> like and the entertainment industry always is, isn't it? You're always battling against some elements. So whether it's your race, whether it's your gender, whether it's popularity or fame or whatever, you're battling against social media. There's so many different battles you're going through. So that's why that even that tenacity to keep on going is it's one to be applauded. And that's why even you sharing your journey of actually, this this is the realness behind the scenes. It can take its toll on you so that people don't get sucked into thinking it's all all glamorous and so glitz. Like, nah, this is a battle. If you do make it through, you're like, yeah, I made it through all of this, but it is not always going to be easy.
0: No, it's great. It's perseverance every year, man. There was like years up until a point where like every year I wanted to quit. Every year I was like, I'm done, this is the last thing I'm going to do. And then I'm moving on but then that might be God's timing, but it's like every time I'm ready to quit, I get put on another project. Wow. Project take me into the, yeah, it will take me into, into the new year. It might even be my own project that I'd promised that I'd finish for somebody and then it will take me into the new year and then I have a little bit of optimism again. Now, like it hasn't happened for the last two years now, but I think for like a five-year stretch, I was ready to quit every single year just because it was just long sometimes. I remember being asked what kept me going and I think it is that perseverance because relevance is part and parcel of us as creators, but it's not a major part to me. I, I always want to improve on every project that I make in some way, shape, or form. So I'm deterred by whether the, the project I make, I'm i making or I've just made is successful before the last. The, the most important thing for me for, for me for that project is that I've improved on something from the last one. Like I always have to feel like I have to be better every single time. If I'm writing, whether it be in terms of like structure or developing characters or being a bit more fine-tuned with story, et cetera. like I always feel as long as I've improved on something each time, I'm moving towards something. But yeah, I think perseverance is a major thing where I know how good I am, and so I know the next project I do, I'm going to improve on something, and that's kind of what gets me a little bit excited to kind of move on. And sometimes if you think about work from a selfish angle from a point of self where you're improving yourself everything else doesn't matter as much so okay at this present moment in time I've not made it to where I want to be at this as an example but if I look back on the projects I've done this year I've really improved on this I've really done well with this this is going to get me to the next level and I think that's what's pushed me through a lot of the time over those years where I wanted to quit alongside having to do a project but it's the excitement of knowing that this next project I'm going to do I'm going to smash it at, at this or I'm going to do really really well at this and it's something I've pulled into a lot of people as well where it's like on that next project what will you do that's better than the last so how do you feel you can improve on the, on the last one and I think that sets you a new task of okay cool I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and that's probably what's going to be going a lot
1: I like that persistence and progression in that pursuit of growth year in, year out, which can drive you forward. And um, it's really amazing. I guess my last question to you is, how do you define leadership?
0: Remember I told you at the start. I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> when you said it, I was like, oh, this is going to be nice. I want to see what he's going to say with this now. I'm not even a
0: leader it sounds generic, but I think it just relates a lot to me is being able to set an example or a legacy for the next generation. Okay. I do have like companies and brands where I am the quote unquote leader or the co-founder of it. But I think I've always been better as a leader or as somebody who sets a task and a goal and goals for it. And then somebody else sees that and they're inspired by it. So I think my form of leadership is kind of like set an example and a legacy and being pioneering in some way, shape or form right now. And it's, you know, it's a lot of stuff obviously we never got to speak about today, but right now I'm editing a project for BBC, a comedy for BBC, right? That I got hired for. And there's two reasons why I did it, right? The first reason is because I like the project because I'm not a script editor, I'm a writer really, but I wanted to script edit this. One, because I like the project, but two the person whose project it is, the reason why they made this project is because of brothers of no game. So we had pioneered in the web series space at a point where other people wanted to make web series. And he, he said it like he said in every interview he had, the reason why he made this is because of what I did. And I appreciated that a lot on top of it being good. And I hear it from a lot of filmmakers, like, you know, the reason why I'm in the industry is because of what you guys did. I'm like, oh, I was just having fun. Like, I was making a project, but I didn't realise, like, it would have this effect on people. I guess you realise they the power of legacy and a power of setting an example. Even if sometimes it's not exactly what you set out to do, you doing something and taking that first step has a ripple effect, not only for you, but for other people that are going to come after you or that want to be in your space. And so... I don't know how to encapsulate that all in one word or one sentence, but I guess how I define leadership is like setting the path for others to follow and be better.
1: See, there was something I, I, there and that's a, that's a great, it's a great description, but there's something you said at the start where you're like, I didn't want to come on because I didn't see myself as a leader. And as we've discussed on today, that one of the polarities I have in my thing is leading self and leading others. you just described a great way of how you guys have led others to be able to go out and build and do amazing things and that legacy is there. But that element around leading self is kind of what you displayed today when you talked about your journey and the struggles because that's an openness and that's a vulnerability that not a lot of people get to hear. That for me is like when you talk about leadership, that's really where it comes from, that self. Like you just discovered when you when you talked about no more external, this is more internal, which I've gotten on that journey in the last two years, and and I'm good now. That's that leadership I'm talking about. So it's that self, and it's that others. So whether you you recognize it or not, you're naturally doing it anyway. You're naturally sharing your story and encouraging people to be able to check themselves and look at what's going on around them and recognize certain things or your vulnerabilities that you open up to. But then the work that you're also doing is speaking for himself. So. You're leading, and you're leading, bro. So just recognize the fact that yes, you are, you are, you are a leader, man. That's what you do. I appreciate, it bro. That's yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take that board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll shout it out loud.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> nice, um definitely been a pleasure, and like I said, I know, I know you don't do things like this normally, but you know, when your brother's calling you, you have to come true and do what you need to do. So
0: absolutely, I, I want to say well done, bro, man. Like. But I listened to a podcast Because I'm subscribed to your podcast I came across the uh, podcast with The guy who used to head Comedy Central Oh yeah Yeah I ended up listening to like All of the podcasts And it's just great man It's dope I really 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 good What you're doing man I appreciate it a lot I'm tuned in and locked in Every week now to Every week when you're releasing it To, to listen to it my missus is there too,
1: she's in drink. <laughs> I definitely appreciate it, man. I appreciate the support. Like I said, like I've known Leon for a long time and he knows a lot of my secrets. And um, <laughs> I, I love the journey that we've all we've all gone through, but it's amazing to to see what you're doing now and to see even what's coming down the pipeline. Like it's you've taken the time and it's it's not been easy to lay that foundation, but the harvest season's coming which is absolutely amazing to witness, man. So I appreciate you sharing today. And this is Everyday Leadership. We'll see you next time.